I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, we're continuing on in this series. Now, we will be taking a bit of a break from the series in 1 Corinthians after this week. Uh, we'll be moving into some messages as we approach Easter. Following Easter, we have a couple other series, mini-type series that we're going to dive into, and we'll revisit and finish the book of 1 Corinthians a little later on in the year. And so we're going to be finishing out this part of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 14 to 22 this morning. Paul is continuing his instruction, continuing his writing as he is seeking to give some course correction uh, to the Corinthian believers and wanting them to understand God's desires for them uh, and that they would follow him. Follow with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 to 22. If you're using your pew Bible, it's page 957. You can follow along in your copy of God's word. Beginning with verse 14, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from adultery. Flee from idolatry. I speak as the sensible people judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is not, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I implied that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This is an important part of God's word where all of it is obviously important, but this is an important part in Paul's instruction to the believers in Corinth as he seeks to bring some course correction into their lives. In verse 14, there's a very important word that starts off verse 14. It is the word, therefore. Say that with me. Therefore. Paul is making a statement following up on statements he made earlier. So when he uses that word, therefore, in light of what I just said, here is what I want you to do. We understand that when we see that word. So contextually, what's going on here? Well, if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Butch preach uh, chapter 10 and verses 1 through 13. But I want to jump back to verse 6 just to set the context for what Paul's talking about here. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now these things, he speaks about these things that took place by their forefathers in the wilderness. These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Paul previously spoke about some of the rebellion and idolatry and sexual sin that was experienced by their forefathers that they chose to do when they were in the wilderness. He says, verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability 
but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from adultery. Paul is establishing some very important truths as he begins to move into this section with a very pointed command. Flee from idolatry. The backdrop to his instruction is he gives the example of the nation of Israel, the children of God in the wilderness, and how they would be found guilty of idolatrous practices and sexual sin and disobedience to the law and commands of God. And Paul says they are serving as an example for us. They're serving as an example. He's making a point that God takes sin seriously. I think sometimes we can forget that. I think sometimes we can remove ourselves from that reality that God does not mess around when it comes to his commands and when it comes to his holiness. He takes sin seriously. And Paul says something that's absolutely amazing. You heard this last week. This is an incredible truth that Paul reminds them of. He says, listen, you need to take heed when you think you stand lest you fall. Proverbs says pride comes before the fall. And he's writing to believers that he's already called out a couple of times in his letter that they were arrogant and that they were proud and that they were boastful. And he says, you need to be careful when you think you stand because that's when you will fall. And we could probably go around the auditorium and everybody could share an example of when you thought you were something and then you got humbled. Okay? We could probably all share examples of that. When you went into something thinking, man, this is going to be a cakewalk, and then you found out, no, it wasn't, and you got humbled really quickly. Those of you that are following March Madness NCAA tournament, there have been top seeds that have, I saw yesterday, I don't know if this is the first time ever, I saw yesterday that following this opening round, there were 0% perfect brackets in the NCAA tournament. If you, do a, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then just ignore this part. There were zero perfect brackets because there were huge upsets. Number one seeds, the, the basketball teams that were picked to win the national title, Purdue being one of them. I'm sorry if you're a fan of Purdue, but they got beat by a 16 seed. To put that in the perspective, it's someone that they thought would get beat by more than 23 points. They were, I believe, 23 and a half point underdogs beat the number one seed. And they beat them, I think, by five points. These things happen, and, and this is reality in our world and our life, that when we think we got something figured out, or we think we can be unstoppable, there's no way we can lose, and we start depending on our own strength and our own know-how, our own abilities, we will fall. And Paul says that, be careful when you think you stand, lest you fall. But then he says something magnificent about temptation and sin. He said, there is no temptation that will overtake you, but such as is common to man. Others have endured these same temptations and these same struggles. Others have endured these same types of uh, temptations to sin. And he says, but God is what? Faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Think on this for a moment. This is the backdrop to verse 14, okay? This is the context to Paul's command to flee from idolatry. He lays out a beautiful promise. Believer, listen to me, because this is an incredible promise. There's no temptation that is going to come your way this week that God will not faithfully give you a way out of it. There's nothing that's gonna come into your life this week by way of sin, temptation, or struggle, that God will not entirely, 100%, be faithful and provide a way of escape that you may endure it. 
Think of this. Consider this. What a promise. Can you imagine what a promise that is? You mean to tell me that the temptation to steal or take something that's not mine, there's a way of escape, or the temptation to respond in sinful anger to something that I'm frustrated or angry about, the temptation to cheat on a test or an assignment or at work, the temptation to lie and to deceive, to get something I want or to get ahead, the temptation to give in to sexual sin, extramarital affairs, pornography usage, fornication and sexual sin, the temptation to gossip or slander others, that in the midst of all of those temptations, whatever it may be, you list it, that God is faithful, that God is faithful and that others have endured the same, and that God will every time give a way of escape, and that I can endure under that? Yes, yes, yes. Not to to use a phrase that is so often overused, but that should be a game changer in our mind when it comes to sin. You know what that tells me as a child of God? For you as a child of God, we have zero excuse to sin as a child of God. Because if God is faithful and God every time gives a way of escape, and yet we choose to sin, that falls completely on us. Now this is an encouragement because it reminds us that sin is no longer our master and that sin no longer controls us and that we can resist sin and resist the devil. The word of God says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and and God will draw near to you. There's these promises of God in his word. But this is the backdrop. Verses 1 through 13. This is the context that we enter into verse 14 where Paul says, Therefore, in light of all of this, therefore flee, my beloved, flee from adultery. Flee from adultery. This whole chapter, Paul's addressing something specific for the Corinthian believers. Idolatry and sin. He reminds them of the warning from the people of Israel in the past. He reminds them of their current state and what God has promised. It's Paul addressing idolatry and sin in the life of the Corinthian believers. Idolatry is literal worship or participation in worship of false gods, participation in these pagan ceremonies and rituals, practice of idolatry in placing anyone or anything above the Lord their God, placing their own sinful desires, sexual desires, sin, which was so prevalent amongst them in their own lusts and wants above obedience to the Lord and his word. Literally, in the life of the Corinthian believers, there were pagan sacrifices and, and, and offerings to idols, Offerings to so-called gods. And some of these Corinthian believers were even still participating in these things. And Paul is addressing this head on with them. He's wanting them to understand idolatry must be put to death. They must put it aside. In Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 to 7 Paul speaks about this. He says put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. These are things that should no longer mark the life of the believer in Jesus Christ. It is who you and I once were. We were enemies of God. 
We were dead in our sin and loving our sin. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks about our way of life was in sin before God intervened in our lives. And he makes a point here to say this is not who you were. Put these things to death. Flee, beloved, from idolatry. As Paul previously stated, God was faithful. Their way of escape exists and is there. Flee idolatry. That word flee is an interesting word because when you think about flee, you might think about like, okay, get away from it, right? Get away from it. But literally that that meaning holds with it and flee is to seek safety by flight. Seek safety by flight. Run away. Have you ever been on a diet and you don't want to eat sweets and someone shows up with sweets and you're like, I don't even want to see it and you just walk away from it? Our break room is like the sweets zone at, at the church. I, I'm telling you, I feel like every time as, as, as staff pastors here and we're like, hey, we got to drop a little bit of weight. People just want to throw temptation our way and like donuts will be in the break room or cookies or cakes or everything like that and you walk by and all you want to do is get a cup of black coffee, no calories and drink that coffee and you walk in and you remember like the commercial for Fruit Loops with Toucan Sam and his nose goes up and he smells the Fruit Loops and he's doing it. Like you walk by the break room and if you're just walking straight and it's like, hold on a second and you're looking and there's donuts, Right? You know what this word flee means? It means to seek safety by flight, okay? You understand what I'm saying here? I don't wanna smell it, I don't wanna see it, I don't wanna touch it, I don't wanna taste it. Seek safety by flight. This is what Paul calls them to when it comes to idolatry and sin that was idolatrous amongst them. He says flee from it. Seek safety by flight. Run away from it. Let me put this in context. Biblically, the same word is used in Matthew chapter 2, in verse 13, after the birth of Jesus, when the angel of the Lord would come to Joseph in a dream and say, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Why? Because Herod wanted to destroy Jesus. He wanted to put him to death. And the angel of the Lord came to warn Joseph and Mary in a dream to Joseph and said, take your child and flee to Egypt. Seek safety by flight. Do you understand this, church, that when it comes to temptation, God is faithful and he will give a way of escape. And when God provides the way of escape, seek safety by flight. Flee from it. I don't know what it is that tempts you. I don't know what sin issue may be tempting you this past week, today, tomorrow, or the week to come. But chances are, if you or I allow ourselves to just kind of marinate in that temptation, the results are not going to be favorable before God. This is what he says, flee, seek safety by flight. It's the same word Paul used in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a couple chapters earlier when he said flee from sexual immorality. In the passage before us, Paul is calling on his beloved spiritual children, run away from idolatry, have nothing to do with it, seek safety by flight from it, don't touch it, don't be around it, don't have any room in your life for it, flee from it. And I believe in the rest of the the context of the passage that we have this morning, Paul is now going to give some reminders to the believers about why they should flee from idolatry and why these things should not be taking hold in their lives, why idolatry and sin should not be taking root in their lives, why they should not be allowing anything that is contrary to what God has called them to to take root in their lives. Really, truly, any sin 
that we continually give into, that we pursue, that we premeditatedly pursue, it, it can become an idol in our lives. Something that we begin to put in a position of desire, want, and authority even over God. And there are a lot of things that we can talk about in regards to that we will in just a moment. But Paul gives these Corinthian believers some important truths about their lives which solidifies this command. Let me just point out four to you this morning. First, Paul reminds them that they have wisdom the world does not have. Look at what he says, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The word sensible there means intelligent, wise. Paul's speaking to those who have heard and know Christ. They've been taught the scriptures. They've been taught by Paul himself. Chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, You're my workmanship in the Lord. You are the proof. Your lives that have been changed are the proof that I'm an apostle. Chapter 8 and verse 1, when Paul's going to address meat, sacrifice to idols, and following the Lord, and caring for the weaker brother, he says, All of us possess knowledge. They had knowledge and understanding of Christ and what God would command. In chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, Paul said, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. These believers had wisdom and knowledge that the world did not have, knowledge that the world did not have. They knew Christ. They'd been taught. They had understanding, and Paul says, listen, I am speaking to sensible people. Sensible people. This, again, the word that's used there is intelligent, wise, not in regards to just human intelligence, but Paul is specifically talking about their ability to judge what Paul is saying on the backdrop of the word of God that they had received and that they had believed in. He says, so judge for yourselves what I'm going to say to you. Listen, as believers in Christ We have knowledge and wisdom the world does not have. And it is complete foolishness. It is complete foolishness not to act on the knowledge that we have. It's complete foolishness to choose to be fools in a world where everyone is being fools. It's foolish to follow fools and their folly when you know better. It doesn't produce anything that is glorifying to Christ. And as believers in Christ, we should be sensible, intelligent people who are measuring all things against the backdrop of God's word. We just know better. I wonder how many of you have ever, at the end of a long day, felt extremely tired, and as you're completing whatever task you're doing, the only thing on your mind is just letting your head hit the pillow at night, and you cannot wait to go to bed. Uh, I've had that happen before, where I'm up super late, One night, I get up the next morning, and I'm like, man, I can't believe I stayed up so late. I'm already ready to go to bed before the day begins, okay, when I wake up. You ever felt that way? And so you go throughout your whole day. You do all of the things that you're supposed to do, and in the early evening hours, you're like, I'm going to go to bed so early tonight because I am exhausted. And before you know it, it's 1 o'clock in the morning, and you're not in bed. And whatever, however late it is, you're like, oh, I can't believe I'm up this late. How did the time go by so quick? And, you know, I just really wanted to watch that movie. Or I really wanted to be able to do, th- do this or do that. And you go to bed and you wake up the next morning. And when you wake up the next morning, you're like, I can't believe I went to bed so late. I'm so tired. How am I going to make it through the day? I'm going to bed early tonight. And you find yourself the next night and it's 1 o'clock in the morning again. 
We know better. We know what that produces, and we also know what a full night's rest produces. How much better it feels. How much more refreshing it feels. How much clearer we can think. How much more joy we have as we go throughout that day. And yet, time and time and time again, we choose to do that which produces something that is so hard. Paul's addressing believers here and he says, you are sensible, you are wise, you are knowledgeable. Judge what I say against what you know. As a believer in Christ, isn't it just plain foolishness when we pursue idolatrous sin? Anything that we put ahead of God when we know what it produces. We know full well what it produces. Paul calls on them to flee from idolatry. At the end of verse 22, he says, should we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than the Lord? We know what our sin produces, don't we? We know the lack of joy and the lack of peace and the turmoil it produces in our hearts as believers. And we also know the joy of obedience, the contentment and clarity that we have when we are walking with the Lord and obedient to him. Paul tells them, you have this knowledge and understanding, wisdom that the world does not have. Judge what I'm commanding you in light of that. Do not follow the ways of the world. Flee, my beloved, he says, from idolatry. Secondly, you have fellowship that the world does not have. Look at verses 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Paul reminds them, brings their mind to remembrance of the Lord's table, of communion, of the Lord's supper. And he reminds them about the cup, the fellowship that they have with the sacrifice of Christ, in the blood of Christ. He reminds them of the body of Christ that was given on their behalf. The fellowship that they have with each other. He reminds them of this, of the celebration together of the sacrifice of Christ. The cup of blessing was the cup that was used by Christ at the Last Supper to signify his blood that would be shed, the blood of the new covenant, the bread that they break in remembrance of the body of Christ offered upon the cross. He says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of, have fellowship in, one body in Christ. As a believer in Christ, recognize you have fellowship that the world does not have. You have communion that the world does not have. As a follower of Jesus, you are in fellowship with the God that created the earth and all that is in it. You are in fellowship with him and with each other. Paul says with this understanding, with this knowledge, flee from idolatry. With this understanding and this knowledge, have nothing to do with it. Because that's not who you are. That's not who you belong to. That's not who you worship. That's not who you serve. Back in chapter 6 and verse 15, Paul says this to them. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Your bodies are members of Christ. And then Paul says, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Should I take my members, which are part of the body of Christ, and join it together with something that is dishonoring to God, that is in rebellion to God? No. He'll go on in chapter 6 to tell them in verses 19 and 20 that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
You know, Paul tells them here, jumping ahead now to chapter 10, you have fellowship that the world does not have. You are not like the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not like the world. You have fellowship with Almighty God. You belong to him. You've been redeemed by him. And you belong only to him. Flee from idolatry. Don't mess up who it is you are and who you belong to. Everything you do, everything you say, everything that we participate in should be in view of the fellowship that we have with Christ. And not with the world. How many of you have ever been to summer camp before? Maybe as a kid, maybe as an adult, as a leader. You've been to summer camp. You know summer camp is just a, just a really high energy time. And uh, our students go to one of the summer camps, uh, Word of Life Summer Camp. And I used to take students there to Word of Life Island. And literally, it's an island that you have to take a ferry across to or pontoon boats to. And for one week, for one week, it is absolute high energy, excitement, craziness on that island. But as they begin the, the week on the island, the, all of the students that are on that island, several hundred students that are on that island, high school students, they separate them into two teams, the red team and the blue team. Okay, they separate them. They part them into the red team and the blue team and the different cabins have you know, the red team or blue team cabins. And everything they do all week long, they do as competitions and uh, opposing each other as red team and blue team. And so when I was a youth pastor, I'd go on the island after the first day and I knew right away which team my students were a part of because they'd have face paint on. They'd be wearing you know, red shirts or blue shirts. They might have like a bandana on or something around their arm. You had no question in your mind because they also would walk around, walk around the island carrying flags, like red team flags or blue team flags. And they just huddled up and they were all together like everywhere they went. And they would have rallies where the people up front would ask, where's the blue team? And the blue team would go crazy. And they would ask, where's the red team? And red team would go crazy. And they would cheer each other on and boo the other team. And everything about the week was just crazy organized chaos. But I immediately thought of that when I thought about Paul's instruction here about the fellowship they have with the Lord. Every single thing about us should show to a watching world who it is that we belong to. What we say, what we do, how we act, how we move, what we talk like, everything that we do should show forth that we have fellowship that the world does not have with our Savior who knows us, loves us, and has redeemed us. This is what Paul's telling these believers. The bread that we break is it not participation in the body of Christ. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not participation in the blood of Christ. Because, verse 17, there is one bread. We who are many are one body. We are one body and we all partake of one bread. He says we are joined together. And believer, listen to me. If you're participating in sin, you're giving in the sin again and again and again, and it has become an idol in your life. You who should be having fellowship in the body and with the body and through Christ, you're breaking that fellowship in a way that God never intended for you to. And Paul tells them you have fellowship that the world does not have. Flee from idolatry. Number three, you have an allegiance to the Lord that the world does not have. Similar to what we just talked about, that fellowship should lead to allegiance. Look at verses 18 to 20. He said, consider the people of Israel, again, using them as an example. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? 
Paul brings their remembrance back to the sacrifices that would take place and that those that would participate in these sacrifices and those that would eat the sacrifices, the, the food that would be offered to God, it would be a burnt offering and there would be some that would be left that the priests would eat and that others would fellowship in. It was participation in the altar, participation in that offering. It showed a commitment to a joining with, a fellowship with the Lord God that they are sacrificing to. And he says, what do I imply then, verse 19? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Listen, as a believer, this is what Paul's saying. It's not food that is right or wrong that's offered to idols. He says, is that anything? No. Are the idols anything? No, because there are truly no other gods but God. But you know what Paul says? These rituals, these sacrifices to idols or to other gods they're demonic. They're demonic. That the devil and his demons deceive many into believing that they are worshiping true gods, that they're worshiping true idols. And he says these are demonic things. And he says participation in these rituals, in these sacrifices, is participating with demons, he says. And I do not want you to have any fellowship with demons. Shouldn't that not have to be said? Like, could you think about that for a minute? Paul's giving instruction. He just told them, I'm speaking to intelligent people, right? I'm speaking to people that can judge based upon the word that you heard. But he says this, I do not want you to be participants with demons. Why does that have to be said? And yet, and yet, is it not true that when you and I are participants in sin, and the temptation that is available to us by the one who wants to destroy us. Truly, what we are doing in our choosing of sin is participating in that which the demons love. There should be a clarity about our allegiance. And it is not to the world or the things of the world or the prince of the world, but it is to the Lord. What he says matters. What he commands matters. What he prioritizes should matter. You know, I, I've shared this before, but it's always a joy when you're raising your kids and they have complaints about how other kids are allowed to do things that they're not allowed to do. It's always a joy. It starts very young, right? It starts very young. We've probably all heard it as parents. But my friends are allowed to do this. Their parents let them do this. And well, their parents said this and their parents, that's great. I am so happy for them. I hope they have a great time but your parents say this, right? It just continues. It continues all the way up from birth, if they could do it, all the way up until they're adults and they're living their own lives and everything else that goes with it. But we have to teach our kids from the time they're very young where their allegiance is to lie and where their authority comes from when they're in our homes. Paul's reiterating to the believers in Corinth the fellowship they have with the Lord, the understanding that they have with the Lord, and the allegiance they have to the Lord. And in light of these things, he says, flee, seek by flight safety from idolatry. Flee these things. And number four, he says, you know, serve and belong to the Lord whom the world does not know. Verses 21 and 22, he says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? 
Listen, Paul says, you cannot know, serve, and belong to the Lord, and also know, serve, and belong to the world. You cannot have intimate fellowship with the light, in the light, through the light, and at the same time, have fellowship with darkness. You can't do both. You must decide who is it that you belong to, and you know as a child of God who you belong to. You belong to the Lord. Therefore, honor him in your bodies. Glorify him. Glorify him. It's sad because we see so many instances, even in our own lives, in my life, in your life, where we struggle to clarify in our actions and in our words sometimes who it is that we truly belong to, to a watching world. I had mentioned a few weeks back uh, an illustration from the NFL Super Bowl where one of the Kansas City Chiefs players downed the ball at the one-yard line and sacrificed for his team when he could have scored a touchdown. But in that game, it was the Chiefs versus the Eagles There was an interesting storyline that was all over the news, and so I think eventually people got sick of the storyline because it was covered everywhere. But there were two brothers that were playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, Jason Kelsey, who was a guard, offensive guard for the Philadelphia Eagles, and Travis Kelsey, who was a tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. And their mom, uh, Mrs. Kelsey, uh, they would interview and show her at the game. And at the game, as they were playing, she was wearing a jersey. Half the jersey was the Philadelphia Eagles, and half the jersey was the Kansas City Chiefs. And you look at that, and people who are diehard Kansas City fans are like, that's ridiculous. And people who are diehard Eagles fans are like, that's ridiculous. you got to choose. But she, she's here, and she's just completely neutral. She's like, no, I love both of my sons. I want both to win. I hope both of them could win. And she really didn't care. Whoever won, she was going to be just as happy because she loved both equally. Listen, believer in Christ, that must not, cannot, should never be you and I as it relates to our allegiance to Christ and the world. There should be no confusion about whose team we are on and who our allegiance is to, who our fellowship is with. Should be no no question here. Should be no question about where our allegiance and fellowship and commitment lies. But here's the problem. Many of us and some even in this room are very guilty of during the week throwing on that two-sided jersey, aren't we? When we come in here, We wear the right jersey. But so often when we walk out these doors and go into the week, we put that other one on. And Paul's calling on the Corinthian believers whose lives were beginning to show some confusion to a watching world. Flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Why? Because you have wisdom the world does not have. You know the Lord Why? Because you have fellowship with Christ that the world does not have. Why? Because you have an allegiance to the God who loved you and gave himself for you. Why? Because you know, serve, and belong to the Lord. Flee from idolatry. And know that we would do the same as believers in Christ. Let me bring this to a conclusion here. And let me just talk for a few moments as we close about idolatry that is sometimes prevalent in our lives. Idolatry that's sometimes present in our lives. Number one, how about other gods in our lives? Anything that we allow to take preeminence in our lives over Christ. This can be family, parents, it could be our children, it could be our spouse, it could be friends, it could be our jobs, it could be ourselves. Who or what do we make a God in our lives? Who or what do we worship? Even though we don't call it that, but that's what it is. 
It's the first person or first thing that we think about when we wake up in the morning. It's the first person or thing that drives everything that we do that day. It's the person or thing that is on our mind and in our heart with whatever it is we pursue throughout our day. It's an idol. It's an idol in our lives. You know what God's word says about that? Seek safety by flight. Because God is faithful and he will give a way of escape. Our lusts and desires serve as idols in our lives. Alcohol, drugs, and the abuse of it. Seeking to fill voids that are present in our lives apart from Christ. Seeking to fill our hearts or minds with some kind of joy that can't be found in those things. But that's what we're seeking. It's an idol in our lives. Sexual sin, pornography, men that we're constantly going to. If you're here and you're going after pornography that you know is rebellious to God and his standard, if you're filling your heart and mind with these lustful thoughts as you're going after premeditated sin and pornography, it's become an idol in your life. It's that which controls your mind and your heart and it robs you of the joy of the Lord. It's that which you've put above your family, above your wife, men, above your kids, above your job, above your responsibilities because of the lust and desire that is there. Extramarital affairs. If you're here today and you are having an affair on your spouse, that affair and the individual that you're having it with is an idol in your life because you're putting that person above your obedience to the Lord. And you need to seek safety by flight and flee from that. Confess that. Turn from that. Repent of that. Sexual sin outside the bounds of marriage, in whatever form that may be, is rebellion and disobedience to God. It can become an idol in our lives because it means more to us than our obedience to Christ. Number three, money and greed. Coveting what others don't have, or what others have, and we don't. Being dominated by the desire for things. If what drives you every day as you wake up and as you live is another dollar, that dollar's become an idol in your life. If what drives you every day as you wake up is that car, house, clothing, items that would give you prestige and honor, it has become an idol in your life, and you need to seek safety by flight because it's controlling you and it's causing you to be disobedient to the Lord. Number four, fame and recognition. Likes, views, shares, and clicks. Making your name great. Making my name great. We can become an idol to ourselves, can't we? When everything that we do, what matters most is me. We idolize ourselves because we put our wants, desires, and interests above even what the Lord would want from us. Believer, God calls these believers in Corinthian, the Corinthian church to flee from idolatry, and he calls them to do that in light of the faithfulness of God. Can I encourage you today, whatever it is that you maybe have been making an idol in your life, that there is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man, And that our God is faithful. 
there is a way of escape. And maybe the way of escape that God wants you to flee from that sexual sin, flee from that idolatrous sin, flee from whatever it is you're putting above him, the way you're going to do that this morning is you're going to take that step of confession and repentance today because you want to eliminate idolatry from your life. Christ has accomplished and finished the work that gives you victory. We're going to close with a song this morning. I love this song. It talks, it's called Death Was Arrested. And it speaks about the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to invite you to do this morning is if God has stirred in your heart and has convicted you of an idol in your heart or in your life, whatever that may be, would you take that step of fleeing and seeking safety by flight by just confessing that where you're standing this morning? You can confess and repent of that by coming forward and kneeling down right here before the Lord, asking God to give you victory. If you want to speak to someone about that this morning, before you leave, that you would come down and and find me and I will direct you with someone that can speak with you and share with you. But let us, as followers of Christ, be clear about who it is we belong to and who it is we serve.